This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Again, thank you all for coming. Um, this session is going to be about parish finances, everybody's favorite. Yeah. So this family is uh, leaving Mass one Sunday, and they're talking about what they just saw, what happened. The mother says, oh, that organ, it's so out of tune. Why don't they spend a few bucks to just tune the organ? The little girl says, at least you could hear it. I could even hear anything. There are dead spots in this, the sound system in this church. Why don't they fix the sound system? The little boy says, oh, the kneelers. There's no padding in the kneelers. I, my knees are killing me. Couldn't they fix the kneelers? So the wife turns to the husband. She says, well, what did you think, dear? And he said, I didn't think it was that bad for a buck. <laughs> you know, here's the problem. You can't read that. <laughs> but I can. It shows percent of their income that uh, different religious denominations contribute to the church. Where are Catholics, do you think, on this list? Do you think they're the lowest one there? No. Are we in the middle? No. Are we near the top? Yeah. Third, we're third from the top. Can't read it. We're third from the top. Uh, the schematic shows that the average Catholic household gives uh, about 1.2 percent of their income to their to their parish. In this country, the average Protestant household gives double that amount: 2.4, 2.5 percent. We give half as much as Protestants. What's that mean? It means if Catholics gave just the same 2.4, 2 2.5% as Protestants, I'm not talking about tithing here, I'm just saying the same 2.4, 2 2.5%, our revenues would double. Right now, Catholics contribute about $8 billion a year to their church. We double that, $16 billion. Let me put that another way. What could your parish do with double the income every year? Every year. Think of the outreach we could do. Think of the facilities that we're letting fall apart because we can't maintain them. Think of the scandals that low salaries would pay our, our church workers. That's what's at stake here. Uh, and again, that's about tithing, 2.4, 2.5%. So what are you gonna do about it? I always thought guilt was a good approach. Whoops, oh, before I get into that. Uh, so the numbers show 8.6% of parish of the country receive subsidies. I don't believe that. It's got to be at least double, probably triple that, don't you think? This is the number I picked up. Anyway, what are you going to do about it? Uh, what are you going to do to increase giving? Stewardship. Okay, that's the key. And why stewardship? I don't mean, you know, a euphemism for fundraising, constant fundraising. I mean stewardship in the pure sense. Stewardship where... Uh, you're changing people's minds and hearts. We're changing people in a way that makes them have a need to give rather than giving to a need. I don't know about you, but anytime we hear about money in church, it's always a we have a need. We have a need. We want you to give to our need. That, that's not going to be very effective over time. The real long-term effect of stewardship is we have to develop in our folks a need to give. We, as human beings, have a have an innate need to give. We have to develop that. 
So uh, I've done some studies on different stewardship activities that would work towards that goal, to help parishioners develop the need to give, help a change in mind and heart. Oh, by the way, this, these are things we should be doing anyways. Even if we're flush with money, we had more money we could possibly spend, we should still be emphasizing stewardship in our parishes. This is, this is who we as a church should be. So one thing, parish stewardship committee. My survey showed 56% of the parishes have a stewardship committee. What's that mean? Those that did received 12% more revenue than those that didn't. 12% increase in contributions attributed to the parish stewardship committee. Some parishes, 64% of that 56% uh, have a separate stewardship committee. What's that do for them? 22% more. Parishes that have their own separate stewardship committee focusing on stewardship receive 22% above the average in contributions. Some parishes have a stewardship committee, but they make it a, a committee of the parish pastoral council. 20% of that 56% make it a uh, a committee of parish pastoral council. How does that work out? Doesn't. Okay. Some parishes make their stewardship committee a, a committee of the parish finance council. 7% of that, 56% do that. How does that work out for you? That's a uniquely bad idea, by the way. If, if you make your stewardship, if you think we want to do stewardship, and you put your stewardship committee uh, as a, a committee of the uh, finance council, you're telling your parishioners, hey, it's all about the money. Just as you think deep down, parishioners do think that deep down, it's only about the money, and it's not. All right, something to sound hypocritical today because all my data is about the money. But I've done studies of other things too, of, of uh, the impact of stewardship activities on uh, volunteer time and spirituality and so on. And believe me, when you stewardship right, it cuts across the board. Time, talent, and treasure are enhanced. Okay, so uh, my data says if you have a stewardship committee longer than seven years, and 36% of these 56% did, 27% increase in contributions. That works. It works. But you gotta work at it. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, don't start your stewardship committee this year and say, wow, wow, next year we're gonna have a 22% increase in contributions. It's not going to work that way. You really have to work at it, spend time educating your parishioners about what stewardship is and what it isn't. Okay, some parishes have lay witnesses who stand and, and tell their story about their stewardship journey. Uh, my survey, 54% of the uh, parishes said they annually have somebody talk to their parishioners, a, a lay person, about their stewardship journey. They received an 11% increase in contributions. That's an activity that would affect us. Who should be your lay witness, do you think? Who should you ask? Uh, how about the older, more respected parishioners? Or maybe how about the younger, more attractive families? Uh, maybe someone outside the parish, bring in someone outside the parish to talk. Who should be the lay witness? The answer is all of the above. Okay, should mix and match your lay witnesses. Uh, so we asked, uh, do you have uh, how many labels do you use? Uh, those who use two or more receive a 15% increase in contributions. It's good to hear other voices, familiar voices from parishioners, but also voices from outside the parish. How about homilies? We asked um, how, 
how many homilies do you give on stewardship in a year? 38% uh, of the parish says, well, our priests give six or more homilies focused just on stewardship. Zero <laughs> percent. Why is that? Well, a friend of mine, um, Mike Conroy, wrote a book called The Reluctant Steward. And then he talked about how difficult it is for priests to preach on stewardship. Nobody likes to talk about money, first of all. None of us would. But secondly, you know, they, they don't give very good training in seminaries in most cases. I know there's exceptions, but in general, seminaries don't teach them how. Uh, and of course, frankly, they're, they're reluctant. They don't feel they have any credibility. You know, they're out there talking to me with a, a family and, and bills and college tuition, and, and you know, they have none of these concerns, and so they, they feel like they lack credibility. Um, so it's really hard. And what I'm not saying, I'm, really, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about stewardship. If you're a priest, you have to talk about stewardship. You have to help a guy like me understand the role of money and possessions in my life. You have to. Uh, as most of you know, more than half of the parables were about money and possessions. Jesus knew that a greater threat to our eternal life is not the lack of love. It's our love for money and possessions. So we need you guys out there. Uh, to talk about stewardship, talk about money and possessions. Well, we, what I'm saying is, I hear this all the time, a parish is saying, uh, boy, we're, we're suffering financially, what can we do? Oh, I know, we'll have Father give a series of homilies on stewardship, that'll turn things around. You expect that, you'll be disappointed. Talk about stewardship, but don't expect great outcomes from that, from that one effort. How about a parish ministry fair? You know, you, you, you line up once a year and you have all your ministries lined up and folks come through and you, uh, you know, you, you talk to them and, and try to get them to do something to volunteer for your ministry. How many of you have a parish, a, a parish ministry fair that uh, I just described? My staff is at 43% of parishes. A ministry fair? How many think they're wildly successful? Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, they're not. What do they do for contributions? Zero. What do they do for parish volunteers? Zero. Literally zero. Uh, parishes that have ministry fairs have no more nor no fewer volunteers than parishes that don't. Why is that? Why do people volunteer? Because they were asked. Right? They were asked. Jesus asked the disciples. They didn't volunteer, did they? The apostles volunteered? No, Jesus asked. Uh, the same is true for parish volunteers. So in my mind, every parish ministry should consider themselves to be talent scouts, looking out for folks that fit their ministry, then approach them proactively. Paris ministry fairs are, are very uh, reactive, very passive. That's why they're not very successful. How about making stewardship a component of your parish plan? You know, most parishes have a, a, a plan, a strategic plan. 41% of the parishes in our survey said, yeah, we do. 80% increase in contributions. One reason for that is because for stewardship to work, it really has to permeate the entire parish. If you're in a parish and you have one or two really diehards working hard at stewardship, supported by the pastor, when it ends there, you're not going to succeed. That's why it took seven years for the parish stewardship committee to do something. Uh, it's got to permeate the entire parish. And having to be part of your parish plan is, is one way of doing that. How about stewardship and religious education? How about uh, having stewardship as a component of the parochial school curriculum? 35% of the parishes said they do. 
50% increase in contributions. Get your kids talking about stewardship. Get them going home and talking about stewardship. Getting the parents involved in stewardship. How about in the prep curriculum? 57% said they do. 8% increase in contributions. How about the youth group? Should the youth group be talking about stewardship? Sure. 36% said they do. 15% increase in contributions. Get your kids talking about stewardship, having them taking the materials home, getting their parents involved. How about communications on stewardship? By communications, I mean, one, telling what stewardship is and what it isn't. Emphasize it's not a euphemism for fundraising. It's all about changing minds and hearts. It's all about changing your approach of your possessions. Okay? And also telling stories about good stewards. Everybody in this room belongs to a parish where there are some folks you can point to and say, wow, that person is really a good steward. They're contributing time, talent, and treasure well beyond. Well, tell the story of your parishioners. To let their parishioners know about these people, about the examples that are being set in your very own parish. So we asked folks, well, do you communicate with your parishioners on stewardship in either of these ways? 93% said, yeah, we do this through our parish bulletin. Not very effective. Why not? Well, first of all, the parish bulletin is very limited space, right? How, how, how much space do you have to talk about? You really can't tell the true story about stewardship of the parish bulletin. Plus, it only reaches those who attend Mass that particular Sunday. You've seen the stats this morning. It's a minority of Christians. Again, I'm not saying don't put it in your parish bulletin, but don't only put it in your parish bulletin because it won't be very successful. How about a newsletter? I hope by now all of you have parish newsletters. That's the best way to reach your parishioners. 32% said, yeah, we uh, communicate about stewardship through our newsletter. 23% increase in contributions. Because then you can tell the story. You have room and space there to tell the story. And the newsletter reaches everybody. How about your website? 41% said we talk about stewardship on our website. That was a 30% increase. I imagine over time the website will outpace the newsletter as the, the primary fo uh, focus for talking about stewardship. How about your pressure financial commitment? How about tithing? 18% of the parishes in our sample said that they teach tithing. They preach tithing. Now, tithing means different things to different people. For some, it's literally 10% of your income. Others, it's 8% to the church, 2% to other causes. Some, it's 5% of the church, 5% to other causes. Some, it really merely refers to, we want to focus on a percent of your income, whatever it is. Anyways, churches that talk about tithing, that set this model, this uh, example, 27% increase in contributions. How about pledging? Falling short of pledging, but getting your folks to make a commitment to the church. 54% told us that they use some form of pledging. Not to tell you, pledging is not a very popular idea among Catholics. Uh, we've held focus groups where I've raised a topic, and I remember one woman saying, pledging? That's a stupid Protestant idea. Like it's one word, stupid Protestant. That's a stupid process. No, it's not. It's, it's something that we, we need our folks to make a commitment. Remember, one woman said, uh, pledging? You want me to commit to my church for a whole year? How much I'm going to have to contribute? I'm thinking, wow. I mean, you go out and you buy a car and get a five-year car loan. You go buy a, uh, a, a vacation home somewhere and get a mortgage. But you won't commit 
to your church for one year, yeah, that's, that's, that's a concern. Uh, other folks are worried that, uh, oh, if I pledge, the pastor knows how much he's going to give. And, uh, and so I need help. The pastor will look at my pledge and decide uh, what kind of a wedding I'm going to get, what kind of a funeral I'm going to get. Yeah, here's some things like that. Anyways, there's good ways of doing pledging. Uh, there's a parish I know of where that, that very issue, uh, they, they give folks pledge sheets. And on Pledge Sunday, they ask folks to come to Mass with their pledge. Uh, at some point, they have a procession where folks walk up, and they, their pledge sheet is a, is a tear-off. Uh, one side is their name, the other side is how much they're pledging. So they walk up, they tear it apart, don't get hurt. In one basket, they put their, uh, their name, the other side they pledge. So the parish knows who's pledging, but not how much. Uh, another parish I know of, um, again, they have a pledge Sunday, give folks the uh, pledge sheets, have a uh, procession, folks walk up, drop their uh, pledges in the basket. When they're all done, the pastor comes out, starts a fire, throws the pledges on the fire. The idea being your pledges between you and God. Uh, the point is, uh, we should be making a commitment. If, if you're a Catholic, you should be willing to make this sort of a commitment to your church. The work, yeah, 16% increase. Okay. A more recent variation on pledging is electronic transfer, electronic giving. Any of your parishes offer electronic giving? Yeah, you should. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a form of pledging. Folks indicate how much they're going to give. Uh, typically, the electronic uh, pledge is taken out the first of the month, so it's your first fruits, which is good stewardship. Um, my stats show that families that increase, uh, that start with electronic transfers, increase their contribution by 38%. Why? Well, because if you're like I used to be, uh, the amount you gave each month, depending on what day of the month it was. Early in the month, you know, a little more flush with cash, you have a little bit more. In the month, those. Um, not as well off, get much less. A lot of Catholics are not there Mass on Sunday, uh, they're on vacation or sick, whatever, they won't make it up. But if you make this commitment, the electronic transfer commitment, you'll, uh, uh, you'll be giving no matter what. You're making that commitment, whether you're there or not, whether there's a lot of money in your checkbook or not, you're making that contribution. Of course, different folks have different reasons for electronic giving. I have a friend who gives electronically, uh, through his credit card, so we can get airline miles. Because, you, know, you have to reach folks where they're at. You know? Anyway, uh, we need commitment. We need folks to make a commitment. My, my Protestant friends say, Chuck, how do your parishes operate? I mean, they're blind. They have no idea how much revenue they're going to get this year. Because, you know, Protestants tend to pledge or tithe. Um, yeah, it's a miracle that our, our, parish, uh, our parishes do as well as they do, given that their budget is just uh, in flux all the time. Okay, how about parish financial accountability and transparency? Uh, Catholics more and more, especially the younger groups, say, you know, I want to know where that money's going. If you want me to give more money, tell me where it's going. Better yet, give me an input in where it's going. I don't need the final say, but, but at least ask me, what do you think our parish priorities should be? Where should our money be going? Some parishes actually hold open forums, like, like town hall meetings, to discuss finances. 14% uh, of the parish in our sample held uh, town hall meetings, open forums, to discuss the parish budget. How'd that work out for? 29% increase in contributions. 
when folks feel a connection to the parish through that, they give more. One of my favorite quotes from Pope Emeritus Benedict, I uh, talked about the co-responsibility of, of Catholics. Um, he said in effect, uh, you know, the model used to be we were collaborating with the pastor. So he, he now said, no, you're co-responsible with the pastor. You are responsible along with the pastor for the good of your parish. Now, if I'm going to feel that sense of co-responsibility and act on it, I should have some say in, in parish finances. Yeah, not the final say, but at least a consultative say through uh, uh, open, open uh, forums like this. A lot of parishes put their parish budget reports on the website. 18% told us they do that. It doesn't work too well. Some report uh, that some send the reports directly to parishioners. Forty-two percent mail out the reports, the budget every year to every parishioner and registered. Doesn't work too well. Some have reports presented weekend masses. Thirty-one percent say, you know, at, at one point in the year we have a uh, the chair of the finance committee come up and talk about the uh, uh, the budget. Doesn't work too well. Again, these last year are all passive. They really don't give parishioners any. Uh, effort, any ability at all to have a say in parish finances. And more and more Catholics, especially the, the younger they are, the more likely they believe that uh, if, if you want my money, I should have a say. So, if you're worried about raising finances through stewardship, what are the five best things you could do? First of all, open parish forum to discuss finances and budget. We saw that led to an increase in 29%. In other words, be transparent and accountable. Give your parishioners some input, some consultative voice in how you're spending their money or what your parish priorities are. Preach tithing. Again, get folks to make a commitment. Either through tithing, pledging, whatever it is, get folks to make a commitment. That'll lead to a 27% increase. Have a stewardship committee. And again, it's better to have it separate. In my mind, it should be on the level. This is not canonical but on the level of the uh, Finance Council and the Pastoral Council. There should be three main councils in the parish, Pastoral Council, Finance Council, and the Stewardship Committee. Communicate on stewardship through the parish newsletter. Tell people what stewardship is, what it isn't. Give examples of good stewardship. And again, have a separate Stewardship Committee, not part of the Pastoral Council or the Finance Council. Okay, challenge two, internal financial controls. You don't have to read too many newspapers in a week to find the case where there was some embezzlement taking place in a church. You know, Catholic churches, but also Protestants. We all have that same problem. Okay? Because Catholic, because churches in general, and Catholic churches in particular, don't put in the kind of internal financial controls their parish that are commonplace in the business world. I have a lot of business friends who are scandalized by what they see is a lack of internal controls in their parish. They, they can't believe that the parish can operate that way. If you try to implement internal financial controls, you get some pushback. If you try to do something different, you get some pushback. People will say, what, well, you don't trust me? What, what are you doing this for? And here's your response. This is for your own protection. If, God forbid, there's money missing or something happening and there's any question at all, if we have the proper internal financial controls in place, we are all protected. Okay, it's, it's for your own good, it's for your own protection. Um, a pastor of all people should be the one insisting on strong internal financial controls. 
So a few years ago, uh, my colleague at Villanova, Bob West, and I did a survey of Dallas and CFOs. We found that 85% of Catholic dioceses reported embezzlements in the last uh, five-year period. 85%. Now let me say, uh, you know, some had more than one. There's some classic cases of, of millions of dollars. Uh, one parish in Florida had uh, one priest that they found embezzled $8 million and successor embezzled another $2 million. Two guys between them wound up going to jail for embezzling $10 million. Yeah, we in Philadelphia had had issues like that as well. The problem is Church of Two Trust, as I said, where no one would think, no one would think that a priest would embezzle from the church. No one would think that a lay worker, whether volunteer or paid, would embezzle. So we don't put in the kind of internal controls, as I said, that are routine in the business world. Uh, but we have to. We have to. That's good stewardship. Uh, our surveys show that when there is an embezzlement, 93% uh, of the cases, a police uh, report was filed, and 91% insurance claim was filed. Uh, we didn't always report these to police, so we were embarrassed. You know, so we tried to do it, strip it under the carpet and, and just tell the person, well, we're going to fire you, but uh, that's it because we don't want the, the bad publicity. But now we see that we have to set an example of people that uh, take advantage of this situation. So in the survey, we asked CFOs, what, what worries you most about the, your diocesan finances? And of course, the first thing was litigation. You know, the, the clergy abuse scandal litigation is still going on. Uh, and paradise is still declaring bankruptcy. Ms. Helena, what, two weeks ago? But that was followed closely by what's happening in the parish. They're almost as concerned about what's happening in their parishes, the lack of internal financial controls, as they are with what's happening uh, with litigation. So we said, well, how often do you audit your parishes? You know, that's one way of, of, of finding it. How do you often audit it? Uh, well, some did internal audits, that is a diocesan official comes out, as opposed to an external audit where you hire a, an accounting firm. 3% um, of the dioceses said they do it annually. 21% said never. We never audit our parishes. 28% uh, said well, we audit our parishes when there's a change in the pastor. Okay. Uh, one of the best ways to prevent fraud and embezzlement is to have regular audits and random audits if possible. Now, it's expensive. You know, it's a lot of people say, well, geez, Chuck, you know, it's nice for you to say that, it's easy for you to say that, but it's expensive. Well, yeah, it's expensive, but so is theft. Okay, um, we asked the CFOs, uh, do you have a formal written policy? Well, what do you do if there's a fraud uh, discovered? Only 39% of the procedure that the pastors knew they could follow if they discovered fraud. Most likely to detect the fraud was the parish priest, business manager, auditor. Whenever I hear about a fraud, an embezzlement in a parish, the first thing I say to, I say to myself is, where's the finance council? Where's your parish finance council? How can you have fraud in your parish if your finance council is doing its job? Unfortunately, too many finance councils are rubber stamp. You know, pastor appoints some friends who will uh, not challenge anything and, and not care if they don't see the regular reports. Pastors, you need a good finance council. Why? It's for your own protection. Okay, so we, um, Bob and I found these, and we said, you know, we really should learn more about this, because this caught us totally off guard. So uh, a second study was done. Actually, this was a study done with uh, some of my friends at CARA and myself. This was a co-authored, a, a, a true collaboration between CARA and us. Um, where he's out in the book, Best Practice of Catholic Pastoral and Finance, we look at both pastoral and finance councils. 
Here's what we found for our transparency and accountability. How many parishes do you think tell their parishioners about what's happening in the finance council? Give them the, the show them the minutes. Well, 40% make them on request. If you ask, you can have them. 60% put them in the parish bulletin. Some post them on the parish grounds, parish website, newsletter, mail their homes. Half the parishes don't tell their parishes anything about what's happening in the finance council. I mean, you don't have to have the detailed minutes, you know, what Joe said, what Mary said. We should give the parishes at least a, a report, uh, I think a quarterly report, where are we with respect to our finances as opposed to budgeted? Now, at least that, compare, so the parishioners know, they understand. So if we're falling behind, uh, the revenues are falling behind budgeted, we have that conversation. Start that conversation sooner rather than later. Don't wait until two weeks before the uh, fiscal year ends to tell the parishioners, oh, by the way, we're not going to meet our budget this year. If parishioners um, see the minutes, they'll understand it's happening sooner rather than later. How about uh, communication with persons on budget preparation? Not the final budget, but the budget preparation. How about the, uh, the draft budget? Uh, half the parishes, the preliminary budget presented to the pastoral council. That's a real problem. Because the pastoral council's task is to set the parish priorities. We're, they're planning for the parish. They're telling the parish, uh, uh, advising the pastor, this is what our parish needs. This is the kind of priorities we should have. Uh, this is what parishes are telling us. Well, that's got to reflect in the budget. You know, the budget's no good if it's not reflecting what the, uh, the pastoral council and the pastor are deciding uh, as far as the parish plan is concerned, parish priorities. So if anybody knows about the parish budget early, the preliminary budget, it's got to be the pastoral council. They should, they should work together all the time, like, like hand in glove. Only happens in half the parish in the country. That's a problem. 14% uh, explained it in the budget, uh, in the bulletin rather. 10% they give a presentation in mass. Again, this is the preliminary budget. 4% um, actually have a, a budget presentation, like a town hall meeting. Uh, new, newsletter, 4%. Um, budget mail to homes, 4%. But for 60% of the parishes, the typical parishioner, a guy like me, has, has no idea what's happening as the budget is unfolded. They'll show me the final budget eventually, but I have no opportunity to view it or have any input into it. Um, it's not co-responsibility. If you want a guy like me to get more money, give me a say. Okay, how about the final budget? How are we going to communicate that? Well, 38% put the final budget in the bulletin. 33% mass. 19% newsletter. 19% mail. 16% parish grounds, 8% website, and only 1% of the budget not shared. Now, that's good. Okay, I, I'm happy that 99% of our parishes at least share the final budget of their parishioners. Better than nothing. Okay, another issue with, finance, with um, internal controls is number of bank accounts. Number of bank accounts held by the parish should be limited. You, you can't control it when there's tons of bank accounts floating around. Allows for too many uh, missteps. Um, I was talking to a pastor once. He recently appointed a pastor to a parish. He said, Chuck, when I walked in the door of that parish, I found out there were 54 separate bank accounts in that parish. He said, now, some were dormant. But for the most part, you know, these were, you know, every organization thought they needed their own bank account. And I'm sure you must hear that, those of you who are involved in your parish finances. Every organization said, well, we're, we're different. We need our own bank account. No, you don't. 
We'll give you a line item in the, in the parish bank checking account, but you don't need your own bank account. The school probably, okay? I go to school having a separate account from the, the, the parish, but otherwise, no. Um, the Diocese of San Diego, when they went bankrupt a few years ago, they had to review all kinds of things. Uh, the average parish in uh, San Diego had eight different bank accounts. You, know, you, you can't control things that have eight different groups with their own bank account, their own checking account, floating around the parish. Um, our survey showed that 40% of the parish had more than one checking account, um, not counting the school, uh, presumably held by parish organizations. That is really unhealthy. That's a real uh, disaster waiting to happen. How about those who can sign the checks? Or should limit it? Not everybody should be able to sign the check. But for large checks, you have at least two people. Okay, we found, um, uh, what did we find? The average number of authorized check signers is 1.4 in a parish. In two-thirds of the parishes, only one person is authorized to sign check, no matter how large. Isn't that a temptation that you don't want to give people? Uh, no matter how big the, the, the charge, we're going to let you sign the check. Okay? So you should have um, at least two people signing whatever a large size check is for your situation. It varies from parish to parish. A real important issue is segmentation of duties, dividing up the duties of the finances. Uh, there are parishes where one person counts the collection, that same person deposits the collection, that same person writes all the checks, and that same person reconciles the checkbook. That's a lot. I, I don't know anybody that can resist that temptation. I mean, you have total control. In fact, I have a friend uh, who was telling me that uh, back in the 60s, I guess her father was very well respected, because back in the 60s, uh, after the last Sunday Mass, her father would take all the collection money home and count it. And on his way to work the next day, he would deposit in the bank. I'm saying, wow, that's a lot of trust. You know, I, I hope nobody ever trusts me that much, and I'm not sure I'm going to live up to that. So we've got to segment those. You've got to separate them, make sure that different folks do different things. Um, if nothing else, the bank statement should be reconciled by someone other than check signers. Uh, so we asked, okay, uh, of those who reconcile your checkbook, uh, the same person, five from the parish, the same person, so responsible for both writing the checks and reconciling the bank statements. So they wrote the checks and then they reconciled later on. About six of the parishes, the same person was responsible for depositing the Sunday collection and reconciling the bank statements. Again, there's an opportunity there. And about a third of the parishes, non-collection revenue, uh, the revenues the parish might have raised, was uh, uh, deposited by one person who also reconciled the checkbook. Okay, again, that's real dangerous. You really uh, you're, you're putting a lot of faith in people, and uh, I wouldn't want that kind of faith because you know what? It's for my own protection. Another approach to segmentation of duties is counting the collection. You should have rotating counting crews. About five percent of the parishes only one individual counts the Sunday collection. That's scary. About 40% of the parishes employ a regular crew of counters with an average of about five members. So some parishes, it's like, it's like a social event. You know, two couples get together, they do this every Sunday, they count the money, and they go out for brunch. Every Sunday, week after week after week. Do you know how many frauds are found because the collection counter was sick one Sunday or was missing one Sunday, and all of a sudden the collection went up by $3,000 that week? 
uh, really. And so uh, that, that's one way to fix So if you're uh, engaged in fraud, you never take a vacation, never get sick, because that's how you get caught. <laughs> Half the parish should do it the right way. They utilize rotating collection accounting teams with at least four members per crew. Okay, that's the right way. Yeah, that's consistent with segmentation of duties. Okay, checks should be drawn according to procedures prescribing adequate supporting documentation. Uh, your parishers have to know. If they want to be reimbursed for an expense that they incur on behalf of the parish, they need to present the documentation. No questions asked. Okay. Again, your parishers will push back. They'll say, oh, geez, you, know, well, you don't trust me? I spent this money. You don't trust me? What's your response? It's for your own protection. Yeah. Okay. So it's got to happen. So what are my recommendations with respect to uh, internal financial controls? The parish level, rotating collection teams. Make sure that there's segmentation of duties in the sense that those who uh, uh, disperse the funds are different from those who count it or receive it. Multiple signs on checks of large amounts. An open, transparent, and accountable parish budget processes. Let folks know what's happening. The more they know, the more light you shine on it, uh, the more likely you, know, you won't have any problems. Encourage person to use electronic transfers. Again, that's one way to avoid fraud is if we're depositing directly, then that takes um, some of the opportunities for fraud out of the equation. Uh, make sure that you have the opportunity for church workers to uh, report irregularities. Some dioceses have a, an anonymous hotline. If you see something regular happening in your parish, you can report in the diocese anonymously um, so that uh, you know, it can be checked on. I think the uh, names and uh, uh, professor, every member of the finance council should be uh, public. In fact, I think the pastor council too. I think every parish, the rest of you of the church, should have the pictures of the pastor council members so that everybody knows who they are. If something comes up, they want to address them. And the finance council member, they should be well known. Uh, and there should be conflict of interest guidelines. There's nothing wrong with parishioners doing business with the parish. Those should be encouraged. But under conflict of interest guidelines. These guidelines should apply to every parishioner, but especially finance council members who in many cases are responsible for selecting contracts. That should be well known. Finance council, again, is missing more than just a rubber stamp organization. Uh, this should be at least quarterly, preferably more often. The diocese should have fraud policies. So if every, everybody knows what's going to happen if a fraud occurs, how do we report this? What are the procedures for the diocese? Annual random audits of parishes and external audits conducted at least every three years. Again, it's, it's terribly expensive and a lot, not every diocese can do that, but that's the ideal. Uniform budgeting process and standardized software for all diocesan entities. Does Philadelphia have a uh, standardized software? Do we? Some say yes, some say no. Um, that makes it so much easier for the diocese in general to collect the data that they need to collect and it also makes it easier to detect anything that shouldn't be happening. Okay, and here's uh, again the anonymous reporting opportunity for the diocese. So the church is not a business. Let me very make very clear about it. We're not a business. We do have a stewardship responsibility and part of the stewardship responsibility involves sound internal financial controls. 
But the root of the issue is that we tend to be too trusting. Nobody would think that a priest or lay person would steal, but it happens. And if we fail to implement basic internal financial controls. All churches face this problem. I want to emphasize it. Not just the Catholics. Protestants have the same problem. The difference is our parishes are larger. When there's a theft in our parishes, it's a larger amount, so it gets more publicity. But really, all parishes suffer the same sort of issues. Okay, challenge three, parish staffing organizational structure. I pulled this from a book by Father Tom Sweetser, the noted uh, parish consultant. So according to Father Sweetser, this is the organizational structure of the 20th century parish. It's a circle with a pastor in the middle. Everything goes to the pastor, right? What Father Sweetser is proposing is this shape, an ellipse. What's the difference? A circle has one focus. In terms of the parish, it's the pastor. An ellipse has two foci, focuses, whatever. It's two, okay? So that the parish um, organizational structure should have the pastor, and some sort of parish administrator, business manager, whatever you want to call that person. But make sure that um, they divide up their duties. So there's certain things the pastor has to do that nobody else can do. The pastor does those. There's a lot of other things that happen in the parish that anyone could do, a lay person could do. And for the most part, those duties should be done by someone other than the pastor. Uh, we're killing our guys. We're killing our, our priests. We're asking them to be spiritual leaders and temporal leaders uh, and prayers are getting more and more complex, and it's harder on them. And again, there's no training. Seminaries don't do a good job of training uh, their guys to, to administer parishes, to do the management part. Now, a uh, exception to that rule is St. Charles Seminary. Uh, Bishop Senior is <coughs> working with us with our center. We're providing management education for their seminaries over the summer. So over the summer, while their seminarians are, are more or less interning in parishes, one day a week he has them come to us. And we, uh, we present, make some presentations on different aspects of parish management. It was in the back, say, okay, listen, this is what you heard. Talk to your pastor supervisor in your parish about how what we just said applies in your parish. Let's, let's get the practical element here. Then write, write a five-page paper. So every week these guys are writing five-page papers about what they learned in our classes and, and how it's being applied in the parish where they're uh, interning. So that they get a good feel for these are the issues they're going to be facing. Writing that paper is not real popular with the seminarians, in all honesty, you know, during the summer. But we think it's an important part that they're not just passive observers, that they're actually uh, active uh, participants in this process. Anyway, back to Father Sweetcher's model. So he says, you know, we need to. We have to uh, we can't expect the pastor to be the temporal leader for, in all things anymore. It's got to change. We need some sort of parish administrator. So, recent survey, uh, we asked a uh, parish, do you have a full-time administrator, business manager, uh, pastoral social, whatever you would call them? Uh, only 20% said, yeah, it's full-time. I think that's low. I think it's probably higher, personally. Uh, another 2% said, yeah, we share with another parish. Okay. Uh, we need a full-time um, administrator in every parish, at least shared, hopefully for larger parishes by themselves, but at least shared. Okay, so we asked, uh, who, who does your paid ministry staff report to? The ministry staff, I'm referring to the DRE, uh, 
the, um, the, the music minister, uh, the youth minister, folks like that. Who do your professional ministry staff report to? Well, almost 91% say, well, they report to the pastor or, or the parish life coordinator, in a case where there's no pastor. Another 2.8% say, well, they report to the, the, the administrator, whoever that person might be. Uh, 3% say, well, a combination. Some report to the pastor, some to the administrator, and the rest from some other approach. Okay. Yeah, I found that interesting. Then we ask, how about the non-ministry staff? Who's your secretary report to? Who's your bookkeeper report to? Who's your custodian report to? The non-ministry staff. 71% report to the pastor. Does that make any sense at all? About a court report to the manager, administrator. 2.4% combination, some report to the pastor, some to the manager. And again, other two. Does it make any sense to have almost three-fourths of the parishes uh, have non-ministry staff? Put the pastor in charge of non-ministry staff? Put the pastor in charge of the custodian? I mean, we're killing these guys, as I said before, by we ask them to do the pastoral stuff, which is overwhelming. And in most cases, they're in a parish by themselves now. And at the same time, we're asking them to do this temporal stuff. The Switzer model has to take hold. We have to recognize the importance of our, our paid professional uh, business manager staff and make sure that uh, staff in the parish understand they report to administrator, not to the pastor. And make sure parishioners understand that. That's another thing. So parishioners say, gee, uh, I, I found a problem here with the grounds. Uh, uh, there's cracked sidewalks. I better go tell the pastor. No, don't tell the pastor. Tell the administrator. My pastor can't take care of that, tell the administrator. So we have to do that. We have to change our structure. So in conclusion, we need to find ways to reduce the burden of temple management on parish priests. This is just a handful of the uh, issues that I could talk about today. But I know you're waiting to hear Father White, and you're waiting to hear me. So I have a couple, a couple minutes for questions. So anybody? Questions? Yes? Oh, I'm, it is, yeah. Uh, it's a different title. It's a, it's a one person doing either yeah. a, a title administrator or a manager, yes. Yes? Have you heard the best practice for the pastor moving the mail once a week? Yeah, the question there was, have I heard of the best practice where the pastor opens the mail once a week? I'm not sure it's the best practice. Uh, you can see what's going on. If the pastor has a trustworthy staff, that wouldn't be necessary, to tell you the truth. But if not, then, you know, some, let's face it, some of us are control freaks. Uh, and I include myself in that. Uh, but I'm not sure that's the best use for a pastor's time. Yes? Yeah, the question is multiple parishes sharing one administrator. I highly encourage that. Uh, it can be expensive to hire a good administrator, uh, and uh, parishes can, can uh, achieve economies of scale by, by many of them, especially smaller parishes uh, sharing them. Uh, that's a great idea. I might give a plug to our program here. We, we offer a master's degree in church management. 
and our primary function is to train business managers for parishes. Uh, a lot of folks uh, uh, would like to be business managers, but it's a little bit different than the corporate world, so we try to train them to, uh, to take on that role. All right, so much for my commercial. Anybody else? Yeah. Electronic giving, uh huh. It shows how much increasing. In fact, I'm probably going to be addressing our parishes in various mails coming up in the future. Just put something in our bulletin about it, particularly in light of the fact that we have to tie together people are missing mail. The difficulties of trying to catch up with those that double up or triple up checks too large, those that can't reach the parish. Sure. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a space on the envelope where you can check and say I'm giving electronically, and Father, in many cases. We see people doing that. Uh, they'll commit themselves electronically, they'll check that box on the envelope, and they'll still stuff a few bucks or a check in the envelope. As they, so uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's an issue, uh, but it can be overcome. Any other uh, solutions to Father's Dilemma? Any other? Uh, you're not a father. Would you, would you like to be? I, I have that authority. You're the chairman of the, uh, the pastoral council. Oh, wow. All right. OK, um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's a witness to the people in the pew that people are giving electronically as opposed to just checking the envelope. We want to highlight people who are giving electronically as a model for other people. Did you all hear that? Little, little, little cards, laminated cards in the back. So when you walk in the mass, you're giving electronically, you pick up one of those cards and then drop it in. And that's, uh, people see it's a visible sign to the other parishioners who's giving electronically. One last question. Yes. Uh, the quick answer is no. Um, and even if they did, uh, as you know, the Bishop's Council uh, can make recommendations, the USCCB can make recommendations, but they can't enforce them up to each bishop how he wants to enforce it, and up to each pastor how he wants to enforce it. So um, I know of nothing to, to answer your question that, that meets that standard. i tell you what, uh, take five minutes in place maybe while we get Father White set up, and then we'll continue Father White's presentation. Thank you.